Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 18, Jane Bozarth and the Acting Upon Stewardship Opportunity. Jane has some impressive stories, so let's get started. Jane Bozarth has had a career of service, from working in the government in North Carolina to directing research for the Learning Guild. Jane has helped tens of thousands of professionals to develop their trade, from curating evidence-based knowledge to disseminating practical tips. Jane has modeled what it means to be an accomplished professional. Jane also knows how to get things done. While working full-time for the government, she's published books, articles, a dissertation, and spoken at conferences. The stories that you're about to hear gives you insight into what's helped Jane with her professional journey. Part 1. The Writing is on the Wall It's easy just to let life happen, to allow events to unfold and guide us in the direction that we're going. It's also easy to allow other people to influence the direction and growth of our career. But it's more difficult to actively deliberate on what happens in your career. What eases that difficulty are guiding principles that you establish to help you. Here's Jane to explain one of hers. I don't actually remember where I saw this quote or who said the quote. I don't know if someone said this to me. I don't know for sure whether it was just a, a blurb in a magazine. I have a very faint memory that it may have been like an, an offset bit of text in a training magazine article, but it was years and years ago and it has stuck with me and it stayed um, uh, taped to the wall of my office for 15 years and I use it to guide almost all my decision-making then and now. I'm still, I still rely on it. And the quote is, opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. Okay. Uh, I had been with North Carolina State Government for a number of years. I, I did most of my career there. I left uh, three years ago after many years, decades, with state government. And I was working full-time as a trainer and an uh, a instructional designer and then an e-learning person. And so was everybody else. I mean, all my peers there were working hard as well, but I was the only one writing much. I was the only one speaking at big conferences. I was the only one um, with a book contract and those sorts of things. And I have used opportunity as a lengthy visitor to help me make decisions about when and what to take on. I like the idea of being published back when that was a bigger deal. We didn't have blogs oh, yeah. then, right? Everything was a magazine or it was, it was some formal publication. And Here's the thing, if, if you turn those things down, the media people who publish the magazines and books and the, and the people who run the conferences all have content space they need to fill. The magazine needs articles, the, the conferences need speakers, the publishers need books. And if you say no to those, they're just gonna find somebody else to do it. It's not like the conference won't happen or the magazine won't run or the book of a similar topic won't get published. So if there's something you really want to do, you need to step up and figure out how to make it happen. And I still do that um, now with decisions I make with whether I can work in time for a trip. Well, not in 2021, 20, but you, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, or, or whether I want to take on a project that is substantive, whether I want to take on some freelance work. It's like, you know, if I really want to do this, it may not be there next year. So I need to, to make it happen now if I really want it because they, they're going to get somebody else. They're not just going to wait on Jane 
forever while she waits to be available. You know, on top of that, it's, you can, people do turn down opportunities, which is a shame when mm -hmm. it happens because you never know what that opportunity will evolve into. But right. at the same time, there are so many opportunities surrounding us, we don't even see them mm -hmm. to turn them down. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I, on a, was so, I was talking with someone else, it's like walking down a hallway with all these doors and you <laughs> don't even see the doors are yep. there or open yep. or realize they're locked or, yep. you know, so it's, I think I love that quotation. It, mm -hmm. it really, when you do have the opportunity that's in your face that you cannot avoid not seeing, right. then you need to take it because it's going to go away. Right. And, and I would say, I'm not, I don't want to go off the, the track too far with this, but there are a couple of areas in, in my field in, in workplace training and development that I think are ripe for someone to step up and develop an expertise in or become the go-to person. And I've even thrown that out at a few people who I think, you know, they say they seem to be looking for something new. I know that they have been looking for different work the last year. And they're like, oh, yeah, I should think about that. I'm like, you know what? If you don't do this, somebody somebody's going to take it. The apple's hanging right there. <laughs> but, you know, the, the other thing is that I, I always had pretty good time management skills, but it also helped me figure out that these things are not insurmountable, that projects are, are doable. A book is an enormous undertaking. But once you've done it, you kind of understand the process and how you need to get organized and how much time things are going to take. And if you've managed to work that in once, you can figure out how to do it again. Um, now, it does mean sometimes saying no to other things. I, I mean, I remember I had a coworker one time who said, I wish I was as good as, at Jane as saying no to assignments. <laughs> because I would just, you know, say, I'm not good at that. I am not the person you need for this. You should, you know, let's see if we can get somebody who can do a better job with this than I will. I don't have pride about that kind of thing. Um, and that would help free me up too. So it's also a matter of not just saying yes to every knock on the door. You, you do have to make decisions about what it is you really want to do and what your goals are. I mean, don't get fired. I was still doing my job, but you know, you have to just realize how long things take and, and figure out how to manage your time around them. And if it's something you really want, I think you can find ways usually to make it happen. Yeah. And one thing you said early on just now, it's not insurmountable to do these mm -hmm. things, to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I think that as you do these more frequently, it does become easier and faster to do. And I, I get that impression when you put out a research paper for learning industry and it looks solid what you put together, but you're able to do it once a month. Um, yeah, for the Learning Guild, the, Learn yes. last year. the Learning Guild, and my, my job there is to produce a research report a month. And sometimes we do a survey, sometimes we do, um, you know, to see what's going on in the industry. Sometimes we do a, a look at some newer emerging technologies. And sometimes I do a, literally an academic uh, literature review of things like learning styles or things like personality types or, or things like um, making, making webinars more engaging and not just by, you know, using chat or whatever, by doing just simple one-offs, but designing better for that environment. But I learned that in grad school. That was actually part of the technique of, you know, doing doctoral work is learning how to manage a mass of information and distill it down into some sort of coherent, you know, final, final thing. 
Um, and that was partly training. And I remember the day I figured it out. I'd run, I was uh, reading through an article we'd been assigned for a class, maybe my first year of doctoral studies. And I ran into someone who had taken all of the literature they used in their piece and had put it into this, into a spreadsheet with columns of the author, year, central, the premise, the question being answered, the key findings, and some other notes to myself. Like this seemed important, or maybe I'm not sure I believe what they're saying here. And it was a great way to organize enormous amounts of data. And I have been able to apply that to lots of things since then. The year I wrote my dissertation, I published two books and a dissertation and worked full time that year. Holy so cow. I really have no patience for people who say they don't have time to do, to do <laughs> Definitely. Even with your subjects, your subjects such as diversity, the one on diversity mm. that you did, it's timely. In the case of diversity, that, that truly was timely. That was very much an issue last year with um, all of the, the things that were happening with the pandemic, the, the ways that organizations were responding to people suddenly being remote, that they were not face-to-face -face anymore, and all of the, the Black Lives Matter political issues in, in the United States and, and some elsewhere. So it was very timely, but you know, that was also my past life. I mean, I worked for state government. I was in, the, in, the, in North Carolina's central training office under central HR. And diversity was a huge, huge part of the work we did. Diversity and equitable hiring, you know, EEO laws. So I had a lot of background in that. And I already, I, I knew there were some, but even I did not expect to find what I found, which is one of the reasons I really liked my work, by the way. I don't mean to go way off topic, but uh, I always find something surprising when I do those things. But that was a particular area. I had designed training for that. I had worked with the people who, um, want to mandate that kind of training, which is always a bad idea. You know, they want to cover policy and procedure and rules and do three pretend role plays, and that'll be your half day of diversity training, go forth and be diverse, right? Yep. Um, so I had a lot of background in that. I brought brought some things to it, but, but we knew it was timely. And I will say that has been remarkably well received. I, when I let it go out as the title of that is why it doesn't work, <laughs> why diversity training doesn't work. I expected sort of a hue and cry from the training ranks and I didn't get it. I've been invited to several events to speak about it. I've done several podcasts on it. I've had people interview me on it. Um, it's been cited already in a number of other places that I've seen. And so it, it was very well received. And I think it confirmed what trainers already knew and gave them, which is one of my goals, by the way, gave them a little bit of ammunition when they're in these conversations with HR just wanting somebody to read PowerPoint slides for four hours and make people take a quiz and say, yes, I'm more aware, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, doesn't change behavior. So it, that report really, I need, I need to look around for what other topics might have that, might resonate as well, because it certainly, it certainly um, hit the mark in, I think it was August when we released it. Yeah, and I think you just said something key is that looking around for the opportunities and for what's needed mm -hmm. in the field, I think that's a, a big part of it as well. Well, you know, it, the, oh, information overload is legitimately a thing. And we just, we're inundated from all sides and people love bites. They see a tweet, they see a, a, what's called an infographic that often isn't, it's more ah. like a, a poster. They see a quote here or there. And so, you know, I am happy if, if I am being paid and I have the time to sit down and amass everything and sift through it and put it back together for them. I think that that's a great service I'm able to provide. And I'm glad people 
seem to appreciate that. I mean, I mean, people, for instance, with the learning styles conversations, they know in their guts it's not right, but they also are inundated with so much conflicting information, they don't really have a very, a, a package they can just walk down the hallway. So I do try to give them that. And I think I'm, I think I'm pretty successful at that. People tell me that it's useful. So, you know, if I can sift through the mountain of stuff and get them something, you know, workable in 25 pages or, or whatever, that um, I, I hope that that is helpful for the people I intend to help. Part two, calmness can be enlightening. What we do, say, act, the emotions we express has an effect and influence on other people. Most of the time, it's an unconscious experience, but on rare occasions, in particular circumstances, those moments can have a lasting impression, an impression that shapes the way we act around other people. Here's Jane talking about one of those types of experiences. Early 2000s, I I was a classroom trainer, instructional designer for the Little Department of Justice in North Carolina, and... I was enrolled in a master's degree program, which was my first exposure to online learning. And at the time, it was pretty much nothing but texts on a screen, scrolling, te- you know, long, long pages of scrolling text. But the thing is, it, I, I saw that that could solve some problems we were having. We were having people drive. North Carolina's big. North Carolina's 550 miles from tip to tip. And people don't realize that because we got the Outer Banks. We've got mountains all into Tennessee. So for us to do something like new hire orientation or some compliance thing, people were having to drive to Raleigh and stay in hotels basically for the EEO officer to read slides to them. And it was just crazy. It was insane what it was costing and the inconvenience for our learners. If nothing else, we could solve some of that. We could reduce some of that travel and and make life a little bit less hard for for our workers. So just about the time um, I was enrolled in that course, I, I, and my first exposure to the online learning course, I changed my uh, focus to technology-based training. And just as I'm finishing that master's degree in technology-based training, the state of North Carolina got interested in e-learning and this new e-learning stuff and this online computer-based learning stuff. And there I was. Uh, I mean, and I was the only one working for the state who really had this interest. So the job and I became the same and I'm shifted over to the Department of Personnel. So I'm in an e-learning director. I think I was the e-learning coordinator for the state. I think it was coordinator was what it was called then. I'm in this role. It's about 2002. I am the cutting edge. I have made many promises, right? And I'm working for someone I really, I knew and I liked and it's, it's fine. She was a fine boss anyway. I liked her anyway. So it's 2002, 2003. I have done some little e-learning programs at the Department of Justice which was a very controlled environment in which I knew all of the players on the chessboard, which ended up being an important thing at the time. I didn't know it, but it did. I am now working for state personnel and they want to pilot just a basic supervision skills class course online. And I developed this for them and it was cool. It was stuff that people weren't doing yet. I figured, you know, I I was embedding little video clips um, when other people had not seen that yet. I was, uh, I was using Dreamweaver, which had, um, some functionality then for building simple interactions like slider interactions and, and maybe drag and drop, matching those kinds of things. And again, all that was new then. I know it sounds like nothing now, but it's a big deal back then. We have all this stuff in place and we're ready to roll and the thing launches and every single thing went wrong. Oh no. 
every single thing went wrong, starting with the IT people who I had asked to be sure had all the computers set up with Internet Explorer, decided they knew better and they put Netscape on all the machines, which I hadn't tested. We hadn't designed for that. We hadn't tested it. And it was mostly okay, but not completely. We had learners who didn't really understand the idea of clicking on things. We had people who had no idea what to do with the slider interactions. We had machines that didn't have sound, so never mind Jane's video clips. It was just every, everything went wrong. And I don't know what it is about technology, but you know this, I'm sure. There's something about technology failing that, that ratchets up a new level of panic. Yeah. Um, you click the link and it doesn't work. The page looks weird. Something goes black. Yeah, and people panic. If I went into my kitchen right now and the toaster didn't work, I'd be okay. <laughs> I might not be happy, but it's, you know, okay. I'm dealing with that. I'm, the phone is ringing off the hook because nobody has yet figured out they can just message me, right? The phone is ringing off the hook. The, the tension is growing high. And I'm like, you know what? I got to go talk to Ann. That was my boss. I got to go talk to her because the call, they're going to start calling her. This is embarrassing for me because I have way over promised what I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I am embarrassing her. I'm embarrassing my agency. I'm in this new job. This is our first try at this online stuff. And I have been singing the, oh, it was just, it was, it was awful. So I take the longest walk ever down the hall to her office. Oh that was a hall with many, many doors. I walk down to her office and I hang my head and I go in and I unloaded just sort of what I just did to you. This and this and this and this and this and Netscape and this and the sliders and this. And, this. and I, she let me sort of run down. She let me get it all out and I'm sorry and I'm going to fix it. I remember the moment we were being, the building we were in was being renovated. So there's like plastic sheeting on stuff. There's tarps. There's plaster falling. And so it's like, she's, we're in this war zone and she's sitting in her big executive office chair holding a little dainty porcelain teacup and saucer because that's who she was, the sort with the saucer. And she's sitting there and she's got this little teacup and this little saucer and she lets me unload all of this, everything going wrong and I'm sorry stuff on her. And she said, Jane, this is why we pilot. That is all she said. And she got up sort of headed out and walked me back out back to my, my, my little room. And, you know, I learned so much in that moment about leadership. And it's the thing when anybody says that word to me, it is the moment I remember. It was a, I would say, a pivotal, critical moment in my career was that, was her saying exactly the right thing at exactly that moment. Um, you, you know, I, I um, first of all, she taught me that things are just, it's not the end of the world. You know, we weren't doing medical training. There were, nobody was going to die because yep. the e-learning class, you know, giving me a sense of proportion. It was, yeah, we're sorry it happened, but it's, life will go on. Well, we're all going to be here tomorrow. There's no need to beat up on an employee who already feels awful. There's nothing to be gained by yelling at me or being angry at me or scolding me or jumping up and down and saying she's got to rush in and fix this. There, there, was, there was no need to add to my anxiety and my stress in that, in that moment. Um, that wasn't going to help. And I think, you know, um, she was right. It is why we pilot. That's the whole point of doing a pilot is to see what we don't know. We didn't count on not knowing that many things. But to your point, sometimes an opportunity leads to another one. I, I did learn from it. And in fact, I ended up publishing one of the first sort of well circulated checklist for how to launch an e-learning class course. You know, we did, we ended up being lever leveraging that for some good use. And, um, you know, I think the whole, the whole thing she taught me was to take a breath and say, okay, what will be useful here? Yes.
And in that moment, it was, Jane, this is why we pilot. I try to remember that lesson and just say, okay, what, what will be useful? What will help this? And let's look at that. You went down that hallway, in your words, a, a feeling of panic. Mm -hmm. And when you walk into our office, one thing that you said, which was remarkable, is how behind this desk was a superior with a small cup of tea, <laughs> very calm. But when you left that room, you were calm. Yes. Well, more, I was more calm. Oh, let, I was still not, okay, I was still embarrassed. I was okay. so embarrassed because sure. I really had over, overplayed my confidence on this one. I really did think I knew what I was doing. When engaged with another person, our mood tends to affect the other mood of the other person. So if you're, if you come in and you're upset with me, mm -hmm. I might get upset. If you're in a, if I'm panicking about something, I go to you, you may calmly say a couple of words and it deescalates how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's amazing how we can lead not only by the words we say, but by how we talk, interact yes. and our emotions. Yes. Her, her just being so calm and not, again, the, the lack of reaction, the lack of overreaction. I have worked for people who would not have reacted that way, who would have lost their minds over, oh my God, Jane's embarrassing us. And they would have started calling people and they would have made it worse and not fixed anything. Um, so I was very appreciative for her in that, in that moment. And I, I really do think of it often when, when I'm confronted with sort of a lot of, a lot of energy, a lot of worried energy, yes. you know, about what really is going to be helpful here. Um, and she was experienced. I mean, she'd been in yeah. the, that manager role for a while. She'd been in charge of the training center for a good while. I'm sure that was not the first pilot that had problems, but I bet mine was special and bigger than others. <laughs> You know, when other pilots went badly, it was 25 people in a room on a Tuesday afternoon. When mine went badly, it was half, you know, half an agency. That's right. <laughs> you know, I find in those moments that a lot of times the people involved want to spend an awful lot of time talking about whose fault it is. When generally, I don't, I don't care and it doesn't matter. And, you know, the bigger conversation is, well, let's fix it. Okay, we got the pilot data. Now, what are we going to do? It wasn't, but, but I often find myself, well, Susan didn't give me that and nobody gave me the numbers and I didn't know there was a deadline. And, you know, I don't, I don't care. It's like, well, that's, well, this is where we are now. So <laughs> what can we do? But, but yeah, she made quite an impression. I mean, I will never forget that little teacup. It was just delightful. This sauce and a saucer when everybody else got these giant mugs, you know, with 40 ounce mugs <laughs> of coffee. <laughs> that's a incredible, a beautiful visualization. Um, it just sort of sums her. She's very much a Southern lady. She was from, from outside of Nashville, Tennessee and had that accent, and she was very much a, I wouldn't say she's a Southern Belle, but she was a Southern lady of proper breeding, and she, with that little teacup in that war zone with the plaster falling and the sheeting on stuff. I love it. Part three, reflections in defining ourselves as practitioners. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're not the type of person who just goes to work to collect a paycheck. I'd also guess that you care about the quality of your work and you're willing to spend the time, even outside of the paycheck period, to try to better yourself as a professional. If so, then Jane has some advice to help you along the way. 
again, here's Jane. In my work, what I see are that people, people get busy and they go on to the next thing and I'm guilty of it too. And I wish if people would do one thing, it would be to stop and take a breath before they move on, or maybe just in natural breaks during the day, you know, when they, when they come back from lunch or before they leave for the afternoon or something, and take just a moment to reflect on that task or the activities from that time period, you know, what went well, what went badly, what would I do differently when I, do, when I did it again, uh, that kind of thing. I find that people are not very reflective about their work and they haven't really intellectualized their practice. Uh, when I was doing my dissertation research, I interviewed a number of trainers who I really still admire and I think they do great work. But when I would try to get them to describe their processes and their decision making, they, they couldn't do it. Um, they seem to always be running on gut feeling and gut energy, which isn't true, but they had not really sat thought through how, how, how they do what they do, not just what they do, but how the work gets done, I think is, is really critical. So I, I wish people would be a little more reflective and pay a little more attention to how to improve their practice and what they can do. I, I have found that I do well, uh, sometimes just doing this for myself. My job requires me occasionally to use an Excel function once a year or a couple times a year. And I don't remember instance to instance those things. And so I mm. found that doing just a quick little video for myself on Snagit is useful, is useful for me because then I don't have to, to learn it again. I don't have to go find it again. I don't have to learn it again. Um, and then I want people to, to take those instances, that a quick note or a quick screenshot or a quick photograph or you know, a quick audio clip or something and then not save everything to their C drive. You know, I don't mean people should release company financials or be talking about patent research on Twitter. But, you know, if very often something may be useful to someone else. Um, I have a great example of that. A few minutes ago, I was saying in grad school, I learned to organize lots of literature based on a grid I happened to run across in some article I'd been assigned to read. Well, I took a, a screenshot of my own work creating a, um, one of our recent research reports in that similar grid and I tweeted it out and it had a great response. People were like, I get it, I see it. I've been needing a way to organize this. This is really helpful. The other thing that goes along with that is I worry that people, especially in my field, I see that people don't define themselves very well as practitioners. And I think that helps you reframe the work you do and the, the professionalism of the work you do. A lot of people come to training and development through other doors. They're good speakers or they're fun at meetings or they are subject matter experts who just sort of get thrown into that role. I mean, I think we've all seen subject matter experts like my example of the employment EEO officer who was basically forced to read slides to people in orientation, even though she was, she was terrible at it and she hated mm -hmm. it. Um, I, I wish people would redefine themselves as a practitioner in, in their field and, and people who have a craft. Uh, a number of the people who come into training and development will often say, well, I'm a safety trainer or I'm a compliance trainer or I'm a software trainer. And, and what I rather they would say is I'm a trainer who knows a lot about software. I'm a trainer who knows a lot, a lot about compliance. Uh, I think that how you define yourself matters in these instances. So I wish they'd be a little more deliberate, a little more reflective, a little more intentional, and view themselves more as a professional uh, practitioner of whatever they're pursuing. Thank you, Jane, for being on the show. If you like, go to the show notes for links to learn more about Jane, the Learning Guild, 
and some other links as well. If you have a question or comment, go to unlabeledleadership.com and look for the message icon. If you click it, you can leave up to a one-minute message that I'll listen to and maybe play it on the air. Thank you for your support. And most importantly, thank you for listening. Until next time, lead on. Lead on.